In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. After nine days of preparation for this feast, of going to Mass and offering the Lord our devotion, our penance, we have finally arrived at this great solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. Really, the entire world rejoices because you are the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's why it's so beautiful to read the entrance antiphon, which has that lovely expression of joy from the prophet Isaiah. In Latin it reads, Gaudens gaudebo in domino, et exultabit anima mea in Deo meo. Which is translated, I rejoice heartily in the Lord, in my God, who is the joy of my soul. Or, I delight, my soul rejoices, or my whole being shall exalt in my God. So many ways to, to express this jubilance, this festivity, this solace because of the beauty of our mother. And then Isaiah says words that, well, that invoke this, this beauty of Our Lady, clothed and adorned. He says, for he has clothed me with a robe of salvation and wrapped me in a mantle of justice like a bride adorned with her jewels. This is as though Isaiah is putting these, these words into the mouth of Our Lady, right? He has, he has uh, wrapped me in the mantle of justice like a bride adorned with her jewels. And so we're meant to conjure up the image of a beautiful bride who has adorned herself with the best possible dress, the robe of salvation. It's funny, I, I remember presiding over a wedding many years ago, and the bride was late, and people, well, they really started wondering if she was even going to show up. And the groom was there in front of me, just completely nervous, waiting at the altar, you know, wondering, what's going on here? Where is she? Until finally, like a, she appeared like an apparition, and there was a great sigh of relief in the audience, and but not only relief, but just awe as she was surrounded by her bridesmaids and bedecked precisely with jewels and a beautiful wedding dress, which she had kept hidden. You know, nobody had seen it before. And it turned out, well, it turned out she had been waiting to the last minute to prepare herself, to fix herself up, and there the chauffeur got, the chauffeur got, got lost in traffic. And Anyway, but nobody cared for all those reasons. All we knew was that she had arrived and that she was, I mean, very beautiful. And, well, it was for centuries that the people of Israel had been waiting for the Messiah. And now, in the fullness of time, not late, <laughs> But in the fullness of time, the Lord was born. But that fullness, as St. Paul said, started with the conception of his mother, who by a special grace of God would be preserved from the stain of original sin. She was preserved, so no stain ever touched her. And by that special grace, that unique grace, she could be the mother 
of the Savior, who in turn would save us from our sins. Because we are all saved by God in virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Mary too was saved, but on account of, of the merits of her son, she was preserved and stayed immaculate. She stayed holy and her soul was, I mean, absolutely beautiful. I've heard uh, uh, kind of an, an analogy to explain this that that says this. Imagine, imagine there were sickness raging through the world, as we know is the case with COVID now. Lots of people are getting sick. Many are, are dying. And then this genius doctor invents a cure that heals all the people with this disease. They're cured. Though perhaps left a little bit debilitated and still weak, but they, they survive. But then he also invents a vaccine which preserves others so they don't even get the disease in the first place. And these people, of course, stay healthy and they get none of the debilitating effects of the disease itself. In some ways, Our Lady was, was like that. She was preserved. There was, there was uh, none of the debilitating effects of sin on her. And she was, therefore, sinless. And in the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul compares Jesus to Adam. He says, just as Adam's disobedience to God allowed sin and damnation to enter the world, the obedience of Jesus, the new Adam to God, his loving father, allowed salvation to enter into the whole world. Just as Adam threw away his sinless status through disobedience to God, because originally he was sinless, I mean, originally he had no sin, but he threw that away by disobeying to God. Well, Jesus kept his sinless status through obedience to God the Father. And Jesus said that the devil, of course, is the ruler of the world. That's why we get this, this uh, image of the old Adam and the new Adam. And then we also have the old Eve and the new Eve. This is something Saint Irenaeus had picked up upon centuries ago. He said that as Eve was seduced by the word of an angel, a bad angel, Lucifer, the angel of light, and so fled from God after disobeying God's word. Well, Mary, in her turn, was given the good news by the word of an angel, a good angel, of course, Gabriel, and bore God in obedience to his word. When she said her fiat, let it be done unto me according to thy word. And as Eve was seduced into disobedience to God, well, Mary was persuaded into obedience to God. Thus the Virgin Mary became really the advocate of the Virgin, uh, of the Virgin Eve. So now, in our prayer, let us try to imagine exactly how this whole process of sin really took place. We can imagine after that sin of disobedience, Adam, he feels, he feels ashamed. He now knows that he is naked. Before he didn't realize that. He, but now, after this clear disobedience, he's, he's quite 
ashamed. Before he was perfectly happy, and both Adam and Eve, they could see each other in the splendor of God's glory. But now, well, he feels he can't hide. And he has lost a sense of that loving gaze of God, the Father. So he wants to hide. That's what the Genesis says. He, he hides. But before sin, neither Adam or Eve or Eve ever felt any lustful desires. They lived in harmony with creation, with God, with nature, and with each other. They were in harmony. But now, after this disobedience, after this first sin, what we call original sin, well, this, this shame enters, this awkwardness. There's no longer that harmony. Now, concupiscence enters. And it is really the beginning of sensuality in all its forms, that friendship with God suddenly suddenly falls apart. Uh, well, Adam no longer wants to be in God's presence, as though, as though God would not know him if he were hidden off somewhere in some cave or something. He's afraid. And Eve, too, is afraid. They both fear him whom they had formerly lived in harmony with. And they don't trust each other. And they don't trust God. So it tells us that the first answer to the reality of evil in the world does not come from God. Evil and suffering are not brought about by a good and loving God. They are the direct result of freely rejecting God's mandate, God's law, God's, God's, you know, God's mandate. Our first parents, you could say, broke the code. They hacked the code of our happiness and it affected the rest of mankind, all the descendants of Adam and Eve, me and you. So, by rejecting God's authority, Adam and Eve chose to sever their relationship with God and thereby losing their right to the extraordinary blessings that were showered upon them, as the Catechism of the Catholic Church says. So as we do our prayer, we say to our Lord now, Lord, I too am a sinner. I'm implicated in Adam's sin. But, but, I am also implicated in the universality of Christ's salvation. As St. Paul says, that as one man's trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one man's act of righteousness leads to acquittal and life for all men. So, in fact, I have been acquitted by your mercy, Lord. And Mary, for that reason, is the dawn of salvation. The dawn. The first light of that acquittal comes from Mary's immaculate conception that is the work of God himself. It is really beautiful to consider that that relationship that had been eclipsed by Adam and Eve is now back. Like It's kind of like after a sleepless night where you've had nightmares, you've been tossing and turning and all night and then you, you awake and 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 there she is, Our Lady wakes you up like and the first thing you see is like the dew in the fields. I heard that in Spain one of the devotions they have is the it's called the Virgen del Rocío, the Virgin of the Dew, 
which takes place every year after Pentecost in, in Andalusia. And apparently this image goes back to the 15th century when this statue of the Blessed Virgin was discovered in a tree trunk near the marshes of the hamlet of Rocio. So now, the pilgrims, they come together and they sing and they dance in honor of our Blessed Mother, the Virgen del Rocío. And in that sense, Mary, well, she was the dew, the dawn in the fields, the first thing you feel when salvation is coming. In that sense, Mary didn't have to go out and do anything particularly special. She did not need to found an orphanage. She did not need to find the, a cure for COVID. All she did was to obey. And she did that by giving her assent to God's plans. And thereby she repaired the disobedience of Eve. That's why we say she really is the new Eve. And of course we realize that, well, that kind of obedience really takes uh, humility, takes a willingness to die to ourselves and really to live for others. And really, isn't that all we're really deep down called to? to obey and to live God's plans are she, are you saying yes to God in your day to day activities are you obeying to him in daily life to you you know the way you live with your spouse uh, the way that you live your responsibilities this is what we can ask our blessed mother the immaculate virgin she's the new eve and she's not just a nice image to look at. She has helped Christians to live this docility to God's plans throughout all the centuries. She has really helped so many Christians, thousands, millions, and she can help us. In fact, the iconography of the Virgin of the Immaculate Conception often shows her standing with, with arms outstretched, her, her hands kind of clasped in prayer, often in the clouds, and she's full of light and often... You know, in the Baroque paintings, uh, all these angels surround her. And maybe it seems as though she's far, way beyond us, almost far away, way there, out there on the, on the clouds. But in fact, but in fact, she is close. She, she too is a creature that God has made and given to us as our mother. She's beautiful and she's pure. And since God made her immaculate, well, he adorned her with so many graces so that she could be close to the Lord and so that she could give birth to the Word incarnate so that she could be the first tabernacle to hold the sacred body of the Word incarnate. She is the first tabernacle. And like all tabernacles, we have to make them beautiful because they contain what is most holy and uh, she's close to God and since she was the first tabernacle she's sometimes presented with a mantle that kind of represents her protection her consolation her motherhood there's a, a famous painting that you may have seen from the Renaissance it's, an, it's part of a large altarpiece by the Renaissance painter Piero della Francesca painted in the 15th century around 1445 
and it's got multiple panels and it took the artist like 17 years to finish as he had many other commissions to paint but this one was in uh, San Sepulcro near Arezzo, the city of Arezzo in uh, Tuscany and it's got all these amazing panels, the crucifixion, Saint Sebastian, and anyways, many, many saints. But at the very center of these, of this altarpiece, we see the Madonna della Misericordia, the Madonna, Our Lady of Mercy. And she is shown, well, wearing this mantle, right, uh, or kind of a cloak, and she is sheltering the faithful under her mantle. And all these people are, are there, like there's quite a few, there's like a dozen people under her, venerating her, kneeling, all feeling deeply protected. And, and there's, I think these are all members of this confraternity, and they feel safe there, they feel protected. And, you know, there's one guy with a, like he's wearing a hood, and, you know, there's the women, men, you know, they're all there. They truly feel protected by the Blessed Virgin Mary. And that's how we have to feel also as we pray to her in all the stresses of our life, the setbacks in, in work and, and the upheavals that we may experience in the family or, or just our own weaknesses, our own fragility. She's always there. She's our mother, our immaculate mother. And think of her as kind of protecting you under her mantle. You know, I heard of a meme that was going around social media showing, it was like a drawing, but it was showing Peter at the pearly gates and uh, with a kind of welcoming sign, you know, and, and on the clouds and, and all these people waiting to come in. And there off to the side is the Blessed Virgin. Well, she happens to be walk, like walking by there, taking a stroll kind of thing near the pearly gates. And as you look, she's, well, she's wearing this mantle, but just below the mantle, there are all these tiny little feet kind of, you know, underneath her mantle, you can't see the people, you just see the, the feet. You know? Well, it's meant to be a joke. It's it's simple and cute, and uh, uh, but it does bring home her role, right? She holds us under the protection of her mantle. And if, and if we are, you know, if we think Christian holiness and sanctity is just too much for us, that we'll never get there, and that is just for people with very unique, special graces. It's people, I don't know, heroic situations. Let's remember the main thing that she did was to say yes to God. She obeyed. That's all she did. She fiat. You know, the, let it be done to me. She did not get a degree in beauty or in fashion. She, she was not a genius engineer or a great, uh, you know, CEO. All she did was say yes. And then God did the rest. That's why she's immaculate, because God made her immaculate. She's like a masterpiece of God. Just because, well, she's a creature like us. I mean, she's not God. Jesus was God and man. But she shows us what God can do with souls that decide to be malleable and docile to his plans. And this malleability, well, does not lead to spinelessness or to fear uh, or to be a, a kind of glib, cookie-cutter sanctity. It's a real expression of freedom. Right? And then God uses our freedom to do something absolutely beautiful. Well, let us see how he can do something beautiful with our daily yes.
Yes, I want what you want, Lord. And you can make whatever you want out of me, Lord. And as Pope Benedict said a few years ago, he said, if, if Christian holiness configures us to the beauty of the sun, the, the sun, S-O-N, the sun, the Immaculate Conception is the most perfect illustration of the work of beauty. He said, the Virgin Mary and the saints are the luminous reflection and attractive witness of the singular beauty of Christ. The beauty of infinite love of God who gives himself and makes himself known to us. She, that's, that's why we celebrate this feast day. I mean, it was Pope Pius IX who officially declared the dogma of the Immaculate Conception in 1854 through this papal bull called the Ineffabilis Deus. And, and, but it was for years, for centuries, that the Church already venerated and, and, and you know, sort of already considered her immaculate. And now, every year the Pope lays a wreath on the statue that was erected by Pope Pius IX in 1857 in Piazza di Spagna. And right there in the hub of the city, it's on, a, on the top of a large uh, uh, pillar, and uh, it takes the firemen of Rome, you know, and they, they scurry up there, and they place the wreath up there as people watch. And it's funny, you know, she's, she's on that statue, or it, she, it's a statue that's way up there, up this kind of column, and we may think that she is quite far from us, and it takes, like, these firemen to get up there, and they, that's what they do, they, they scurry up there, and, but as we consider this mystery, we should not see her simply as far away in the heavens or up on a distant column, kind of different from us and privileged. She is, in fact, the Immaculate Con Conception, and we often picture her in this splendor and this beauty and uh, with this light shining and streams of light shining from her heart. But she cleanses us from all the pollution that may have built up in our heart. And she is close to us. She's our mother. All the hardness that may have accumulated in our heart, all the, the poison of resentment that we have allowed to infect us and maybe weaken us. That's why we have to have a great devotion to her. She will cleanse us. Just imagine how she will cleanse us by her loving gaze and her powerful intercession, as well as her presence in our daily life. And Pope Benedict mentioned that a few years ago. He said that they, we often complain about air pollution, that in some parts of the city the, the air is unbreathable, and that is true. And everybody, he said, must do his or her part to make the city a cleaner place. He said, however, there's another kind of pollution which the senses cannot easily perceive, but which is equally dangerous. It's the pollution of the spirit, which makes us, well, smile less, makes us gloomier, less likely to greet one another or look into one another's, one another's face. 
He says the, the city has many faces, but sadly, collective factors leads a, lead us to forget what is behind the face and what is behind them. We see the surface. People become bodies, and these bodies lose their soul. They can become faceless objects that can be exchanged and even consumed. Well, he says, Mary Immaculate helps us to rediscover, rediscover and defend what is inside people. Because in her, there is perfect transparency of soul and body. She is purity in person, in the sense that the spirit, soul, and body are fully coherent in her and with and with God's will. Our Lady teaches us, he said, to open up to God's action and to look at others as he does, starting with the heart, to look upon them with mercy, with love, with infinite tenderness, especially those who are who are lonely, who are scorned or exploited. As St. Paul says, where sin increased, grace overflowed all the more. It's a beautiful expression. Where sin increased, grace overflowed. And boy, did grace ever overflow in her. So let us ask her to give us just a smidgen of that grace to feel, on the one hand, protected and ready to be adventurous in our mission to really see souls around us and to arrive as Pope Benedict said at that transparency of soul and body she will intercede for us our Immaculate Mother we always finish the prayer we we invoke her my Immaculate Mother my Immaculate Mother she was Immaculate because ultimately God made her like that and for her to be like that she needed but to say the word she needed to say yes to God's plans let's ask for that in our own life even though we have sin even though we have rebellion even though we have those things that lead us away from God the Lord can transform us nevertheless and with Our Lady's intercession can truly make us into the saints that the world needs today that the church needs today and that we truly want to become. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother on this feast, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.